For the SBS studios in Ataman, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from. I pay my respects to the Camaragal people of the Gurungai Nation and their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Hi, I'm Suraj Kolaka. I immigrated to Australia as a child and I'm still fascinated by immigrant stories. So on this podcast, I'm bringing you the stories of immigrants reliving their first year in Australia. All the hope, fear, alienation, and ultimately triumph that they experienced. Last week I was joined by Helen Ashley, who moved from PNG with her mother as a young child and faced overwhelming culture shock in Townsville. My guest today is Tala Amhas from Lebanon. With violence in the streets and a warlike atmosphere, Tala witnessed and experienced some truly horrifying things. She then went on to great professional success in Dubai, but was still feeling unfulfilled. It is in regional Australia that she has found peace, freedom, and equality. I was born in Saudi Arabia and I was uh, fortunate enough to move to I'm, I I come uh, from Lebanese parents mom and dad are Lebanese and they were in Saudi Arabia when I was born and I lived the first couple of years in Saudi I don't remember them much and then I was lucky enough to move to Lebanon just in the middle of the civil war oh. so I'm a war child it was lovely growing up wow bomb shelters no electricity barely any water wow. you know you name it we've got it <laughs> and that was at from what age I think we moved here yeah, I think we moved when I was 3 years old and the war was thriving then from the age of 3 till the age of 12. So it was it was mainly I don't know I think it took a long time to forgive my family for moving there during the war because they had the choice to live somewhere else but now as an adult I understand that they wanted to be close to family. Right. So I had my grandma, my granddad, everyone and they were getting older and they needed my mom to be there and they needed us to be there. So we were there. When you grow up in a war zone as a child, you don't think that there's something wrong with it. Like because everyone around you is going through the same thing. Yeah. Everyone is in bomb shelters, everyone stops schools and runs when it starts bombing. You know, everyone is homeschooled every once in a while and there was no difference. I think the first time I realized that the rest of the world was not at war is when I traveled for the first time. I went to the US and then I met people and they're like they had ballet and gymnastics and swimming. I'm like, "When? What what about the war?" And they're like, "What war?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of think the whole world is. And then at teenage you think, "Hold on a sec. No, they're not." <laughs> wow. And yeah. were there moments uh, as you were mentioning of uh, bomb explosions when you were at school and yet to come yeah, back home yeah. and so the idea is we were we were in a very strategic school that was close to home where mom could pick us up when they start bombing I mean the way listen, you just casually say that just mom can pick us up when it mom starts bombing listen it's <laughs> it's gruesome yeah. it is not ideal like every term or every summer you'd say goodbye to your friends and you don't know if you're going to see them again or not because they might die wow you know i've seen my neighbor shot dead in front of me you're faced with mortality on daily basis but when you don't know any different it doesn't bother you i was a very happy child because i didn't know that there is anything better in the world wow i got angry when i was older 
I got pissed off when I was older because hold on, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I could have had not that. But yeah, but the war ended like everything else. And then we traveled and we realized that the whole world is not in war. And that's where <laughs> rebellion happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in my teenage, I'm like, that's it. I do not like this here. I do not like that this is not it. And I am different. Can I take you back to seeing your neighbor shot dead when you were a kid? That sounds um, intense. It was very intense, but... How old were you probably around? I don't remember. I think I was very young. We were we were standing on the window together because... <laughs> so when the, when the stray shooting starts, the first thing you do is run to the window, which you shouldn't <laughs> to see where it's coming from. Um... She was Iranian. I remember that she was she was not Lebanese. She was from Iran and she had the full veil yeah. from head to toe. And then shots came out and then she dropped and there was a pool of blood. I didn't see anything. I think my dad rushed, carried me out. And then there was a lot of yelling and screaming about it. Wow. Were you near her? When I was this... right next to her. I was, you were right standing, next to her. Next I was to her. standing right next to her. Yeah, I was standing. I mean, near brushes with deaths have happened. Like I've I was at my neighbor's once and there was a, because with the civil war in Lebanon, it was a street war and it was not an organized war. It's, 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 you know, chaotic and, yeah. you know, brother and brother and cousin and cousin. So, and it was sectarian. So not even religion, it was by sect. So everyone and everywhere there was shooting. So I think we were, we were sitting, I was on the fourth floor. I don't remember. It was with fourth floor. We live on the seventh and we were on the fourth floor. And then um, shooting started happening and a, a bullet whizzed from literally inches behind me through the glass wow. and then to the wall and the glass fell on me. This is when it got really bad. And then when it got really, really bad, our family traveled to um, Cyprus and we lived in Cyprus for a year. And that was fun. That was really fun. And we were homeschooled there and everything. And then we came back when things settled down a little bit. So yeah, you don't feel it. You know, as kids, we we always put on the nicest pajamas because mm. what if they bomb us? And, you know, my mom wanted them to find us looking nice. Wow. You know, and I, and I thought about it. I'm like, I was putting the kids to bed and I'm like, they have nice pajamas. I'm like, because they're nice, not because just in case someone finds them. Yeah. Like, this is sad. This is really sad to grow up with, you know, and, and I think it affects people in different ways. You know, you, 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 a lot of Lebanese wear it as a badge of honor, as resilience. Right. A lot of Lebanese say, oh, but it made us who we are and what we are. <clears throat> I'm, a I'm a bit realistic about it. It is shit. I hope to God I never, ever have to experience it or let my children ever experience it in their lives. And that's why I am here. Yeah. And that's why I chose not to have children in that part of the world. But I am who I am and it's part of me. Am I happy about it? No. Am I proud of it? No. But I made the best out of it. So yeah, so we we had to we we did we did well. We went to school. Rebel. I'm a I'm a middle child. Rebel to the core. Hated my mother. Wished her death every day. <laughs> Adventurous. I ran away from school. I had a boyfriend. I smoked. I rode motorbikes. Your typical rebel child that did everything under the sun to piss their family off. And I, I went to uni because I had to. I had no choice. So yeah. my dad is like, if you don't go to uni, my mom and dad, then you don't get an allowance. And I wasn't allowed to work. Work and I wanted money. I didn't get a job until I was 20, yeah, I think 1920. And it was a lot of convincing to get a job because why should you? You're a girl and we're well off. And this was in which part of the I was world? still in Lebanon. Okay. And then when I graduated, um, I, I, I studied graphic design and fine arts in, in, um, in uni. Not much good with the design, but very good with the selling part. So I could sell whatever concept that I put on. Um, not very popular with my fellow students as well, because <laughs> they did the hard work and some of it. 
I think I think they did some hard work for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you um, you sold them on the idea of doing I it. I sold them on the idea that they'll be better human beings if they did my uh, if they did my work for me. <laughs> Always been a good saleswoman. And then I graduated from uni and I was interning at a friend's agency. And then one day one of her friends came. Her name was Vera. I love that woman. Tall woman, curly hair. She looked at me and said, like, you interview in the kitchen. I'm like, sure. So like, do you want to go to Dubai in 10 days? I'm like, yeah, let me pack my bag. Let's do it. <laughs> and that was it. In Dubai, I lived a beautiful life. I have to say the, the country offered me opportunities that I could never have anywhere else. I rode motorbikes and I was the first female Harley Davidson. Uh, I was one of the first. It was me and my girlfriend that we registered as the first Hog members in Lebanon. Wonderful. Yeah. And obviously that did not go do- down well with the rest <laughs> of the family. I wanted to normalize things for women that were only for men. And I didn't understand why. And it was not illegal. It was not against religion. It was just culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that I wanted to change. And I wanted to change it with love and compassion. Because the minute you yell, the minute you break something, you become the rebel that no one listens to. The person you're talking to becomes defensive. A hundred percent. So I showed up at the family gatherings when no one spoke to me. I show up at every single occasion with a big smile and a big heart and love. Because what they, what they rejected was ignorance. Because of ignorance, not because of love. Yeah. And, and it took seven, eight, nine years. <laughs> but they came around. Everything and anything that I thought a woman shouldn't do, I did. You know, and then at 30s, I'm like, okay, and then what? <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> and then I started working for jobs that are purpose-driven. So my project, my first job was a traveling show around the world to tell stories of women that have made a difference in their community. Just to give you a history, so being a feminist in the Middle East is not like being a feminist anywhere around the world because we don't have freedom of speech. Yeah, it's dangerous for your life. Yes, a lot of the problems that women face when it comes to women empowerment comes from religion. You know, the the, the Sharia law does not equate between men and women. Yeah, people argue that it came at liberated women. Yes, it did. But then at a certain point, it stopped. So all of that conversation and my job was in Dubai and it catered to Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman. So I, my livelihood was in that area and I was a feminist and I was working through content to, for women empowerment. So I loved it. I loved that idea altogether. But how do you tackle it? So you tackle it by storytelling. You tackle it by showing examples of what other women are doing. Right. And did you bring the show to Australia? No. So this show was Dubai. Um, it was all. It was actually part of the the Gulf. So GCC. So it was aired on the top uh, TV station. We traveled around the world and we shot those stories and we aired it. And it was a huge campaign. There was a huge teams. We were a team of I think. 50, 55 people, awards, you know, the th- all everything that you can think of under the sun. And then afterwards, um, I, I joined Womanity, which is a nonprofit organization based in Geneva. And they, they wanted to create content in the Middle East in Arabic uh, for women empowerment. So it's purpose-driven content. And they want to do it through humor. So they hired a brilliant team in Lebanon. And then I worked with them for a while during that. So by then, that warrior was in full mode you know i had a voice i knew what i was doing people listen i stopped caring what people think you know i looked the part and i did it but i realized when i was working then that you know the new generation now are in the workforce my cousins that were kids now they're working you know there's there's a new generation after me that is now taking the world with a storm and i remember 
I was in Saudi Arabia. So the decision to come here was I was in Saudi Arabia when the law um, passed for women to drive. And I was standing in Saudi. And every time I say the story, I'm going to cry. Because, you know, I stood there on the street when the, when the law was passed. And I said, I cannot believe that one day I will tell my children I was alive when there's a country did not allow women to drive. And they did. Like, it's, can you imagine? You know, but I was there. And I looked around and I'm like, I'm never going to see the progress and the equality that I want in my lifetime. I'm never going to see it. It started. Mm. It's there. But it's, I'm not going to see it in my lifetime. The rate of it was so slow that you, it, uh, it made you realize how yeah, far back. It is. It's going to take another 50, 60, 70 years. Mm. Do I want to wait that long? You know, and at the time I had some friends that moved to, well, I have my best friend and his wife, his wife is Australian and he's, he's become Australian and, and they moved to Cairns with the kids and I'm the godmother for their children. And they're like, why don't you come visit us? I'm like, sure. We used to ride motorbikes together. I'm like, you know what? I, on a, one of my bucket lists is to dive the Great Barrier Reef yeah. and ride a motorcycle through, you know, the rainforest and, you know, all of that part of Australia. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. And I applied for the visa and everything. And I'm like, two weeks, no one's going to miss me. Left. The minute I landed there, I was like, this feels like home. Now, mind you, I've traveled to over 55 cities around the world. I've never felt home. I'm Lebanese. I'm Arab. My culture defines me, my voice, my music, my food, my hospitality, all of it. And then I come to Australia and I feel home. What? I know no one. (laughs) I'm 37 years old. Like, what? (laughs) And, And why did it feel like home? I have no idea. I don't know. I think... Now, looking back, I think it's the combination of, I think I was ready to experience living in a country where women are equal. Right. One of the overarching feel that you get when you get to Australia, probably Queensland as well, the kindness of people, the humility of people, and there's compassion and love. And I'm like, hold on a sec. I like this land. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went back to Dubai and I'm like, how do you move? to Australia as a 37-year-old Arab with a Lebanese passport. <laughs> that uh, does oh, by the way, uh, which part of Australia was it when you landed when that felt like home? Cairns. Cairns, where you had your friend. Yeah, I landed yeah. in Cairns, straight there. And, and I remember he picked me up. And then before we went home, he took me to a drive to Ellis Beach. Okay. And then we came back and then we went home. And I'm like, oh, my God. Please don't tell me this is like this is where you live. This is because I had no idea. I was in the midst of like 16 million deadlines and a million. Yeah. I didn't even Google where I'm going. I'm going to see my friends. We're going to rent motorbikes. We're going to ride. I'm going to dive the Great Barrier Reef, and that's it. Yeah. So I went back. All right. So how do we move there? Um, you don't. <laughs> you don't. I called every single immigration agent, and they told me to go fish. Wow. Yeah. Because 37, not married. Don't have a skill because my degree is in design, but I work in media and sales and this is not something that was so, so I cannot come on an, on a skilled worker. I cannot come as an immigrant because I live well in Dubai and I don't, I can't have asylum for industry because I can't go back. So there's no route for me to be in Australia. So I'm like, you know what? I'm due for my MBA. So one of the agents actually advised. So I'm like, great. So I applied to every single university in Cairns and I got rejected. So I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? So I met, I met this company and they're like, why don't you try Townsville? I'm like, where the hell is Townsville? <laughs> <laughs> I 
And they're like, well, there's JCU. They have a new program. It's an MBA program. They need new people for it. You have a better chance of getting there because, you know, you're, you're eligible for it. You have nothing to lose. And I'm like, if it's not Cairns, I don't want anything, but fine. I'll <laughs> schlop a letter together. I literally schlopped a letter together and sent it. And I got accepted in like three days. And I'm like, talk about fate. Come on. Like if really, I think I'm meant to be here. <laughs> I had nothing else. I was miserable in the Middle East. I'm done. I've served my purpose. This was it. I make it or I make it. There was no other way. So I decided to come here, do a semester. If I like it, great. There you That's go. It. That, that maybe that initial feeling of home here was so potent that despite all these things happening along the way, you still wanted to come and try it out. Yeah. I, I don't think, see, I, I would not, I, I would not forgive myself for not trying. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a person that would rather regret doing something than regret not doing it. Yeah. I don't want to look back when I'm 70 and 80 and think, you know, only if I did that, only if I moved here, you know, and now that I live here, I probably would have said that because it's been one hell of an experience. Yeah. You know? So take me to coming to Townsville. All right, landed in Cairns to begin with, stayed with my friends for a little bit until oh, yeah. I got mine. To get the nostalgia of what made you come here yeah, in the first place. Yeah, to get there, the hospitality, they fed <clears> me. It was like being home. It was beautiful. I came to Townsville, found a place. No, and then I was looking for, I was looking for places because I cannot afford a house on my own. I had to find a place to share. And every place I went to and I looked at, I was about to die. Like, because, you know, coming, living in a two bedroom villa <laughs> and a massive space on your own to living in a room for a student and a desk, I was, I was suffocating. You know, my, I, I told my friends, I was, my friends were beautifully supportive and my family and everyone was on the phone with me the whole time. And I'm like, my Arab aristocratic mind is dying. <laughs> it's getting a beating. I could, I could hear it screaming. I know I needed to be humble, but how do you do it? And life was definitely teaching me how to be humble. Mm. It really was. I found, I've always picked people over places. I found a, I found a beautiful home with a lovely woman that I call my sister now. Um, and she had a small room for rent. And I took that place because she shined and she glowed. And I thought, you know what, in a place where I know no one, maybe she could be a friend. Mm. And that's where I moved there. Moved to Townsville, started uni the first day, first week. And then boom, the world shut down. <laughs> COVID happened. <laughs> so I got stuck in Townsville. <laughs> I'll tell you what, first the ego took the big beating. I yeah. had to learn how to clean. I've never cleaned a toilet. I've never cleaned the floor. I had to clean anything. I did not think, you do not think of these things when you decide to move to a new place. And, you know, when you want to grow and change and start over and become something, the first thing that comes to mind doesn't be, let me learn how to cook and clean. It doesn't. Um, so I had to learn how to do that. Thankfully, my beautiful housemate um, and my friend taught me how to do that because I don't know if she took pity or <laughs> she felt sorry or she was just flabbergasted with the whole thing. I genuinely think she'll be like, what the hell is that? Um, I've never cooked in my life. I've never cleaned in my life. I've never taken care of anything like this. And I had to do all of that at 38 years old. It was not nice. Steep, let me tell you. Steep learning curve. <laughs> steep learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's everything I ever wanted. You know, that's why I moved here because I wanted to learn all of these things. And then COVID happened. I got locked at home. So all of this fast paced lifestyle, anxiety driven Dubai, I'm a student. We're living in North Queensland in COVID. 
<laughs> Nothing moves. <laughs> anyway, so I had to retrain myself how to pace down. Like I remember going to the shop and people, everyone, I don't know if you guys notice, everyone says hi to everyone here. Yeah. Coming from Dubai. Ooh, hi? What, hi? What, why are you talking to <laughs> yeah, me? Yeah, what do you need? What do you need? What yeah. do you want? Or if I want something, oh, where are you from? And you, the small talk. And I'm like, I just need to get this and get out. Yeah. Can we just, you know, can we just move along? Yeah. So the first thing that hit me here is the small talk. Mm -hmm. I did not understand the small talk, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, what, what, what do they mean? What do they want? We had nothing. We wrapped up with nothing. I know nothing about you. This conversation brought me nothing and I'm leaving. What do you want? <laughs> so the cynic in me, was flaring and then bit by bit it, it started dying because I'm like people are kind that's why you moved here this is part of the kindness learn it <laughs> now I do small talk very best <laughs> having a yarn <laughs> yeah I, I, I learned how to do small talk so that's one of the major things um, the other thing is I had to because I had to find a job um, I've never worked a casual job in my life so I found a job in a beautiful sports shop where I was you know selling sportswear on the floor I could not tell my parents that that was my job, you know, because <laughs> uh, so they think that I own the brand and I run it because that's what they believe I did. <laughs> that's so good. There's no way the Arab ego, aristocratic <laughs> ego would allow their daughter of 38 that had all of that, you know, happening for her to be selling clothes in a shop in a mall in Australia. Yeah. That, that wasn't going to happen. So I lied through my teeth. And then, um, and then I had to learn and get used to standing on my feet for eight hours. Yeah. It is not an I, like, and I didn't have to do this through unis, through school <laughs> at 16. I, I didn't have to, you stand because you have to, that's it. <laughs> not for a job. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I have to say I was surrounded with beautiful women that were selling on the floor with me. They taught me a lot about what I did and how I did. And then working in a shop as well, because you interact with all sorts of people working in a brand that is affordable for everyone. You interact with everyone in Australia. So I had to do a lot of explaining of where I come from. Let me tell you, ignorance is not a bliss, my friend. <laughs> Maybe it is. So the first thing that hit me here is the lack of knowledge of the world map. Yeah. Yes, because Townsville is a um, is a place where it's it's a big um, hub for the military, so, and and a lot of the military has been to Afghanistan. So everyone my color is from Afghanistan. Everyone Muslim is from Afghanistan, and. Everyone is the same from, like, there's no, like, so every time I try to explain that there is the size of Australia between Lebanon and Afghanistan. Yeah. So I, I would bring up Google Maps and I would explain and I would tell and be like, oh, but how's your family with the Taliban? <laughs> like, different country Dubai Dubai you know Dubai Dubai so I started telling people that I'm from Dubai yeah. because Dubai is a lot more famous but I'm not from Dubai I am not Emirati <laughs> I think yeah so I did I really struggled um, the first couple of weeks and a couple of months to kind of explain and then I'm like you know what I think you know, I, I never got insulted. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Everyone's I was like, wondering whether it was from a place of annoyance or from uh, you finding it uh, insulting or offensive. No, I find it adorable because the intention is is lack of knowledge. Like right. it's ignorance. Mm. It's not, you know, and they're genuinely curious. Mm. And coming from the culture of where I come from, where people are judgmental without saying anything, I'd rather someone asks me the question than, you know, thinking it. You know, I got questions like, do you speak Muslim? I'm like, what, what? Um, <laughs> 
It's just, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a language. I speak Arabic, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, things like is, uh, is halal food terrorism? I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me put this. Let me place this together. Halal food. Halal food is kosher food, you know, and, and then terrorism is, ter- so they're very, it's like. It's like the, saying a vegan food is terrorism. Yeah. I'm like, this is exactly where I'm like, just let me put this in context for you. And I got questions like, oh, I've got a friend at work who's from india do you know him <laughs> i love I'm that like, i get i get that as well yeah. oh we just have a billion people it's fine two you know? two billion yeah but, but then again bringing me to the formula that knows the indian person why would i know him? because he's muslim i'm like do, do you think that we are all in one pot that we live together <laughs> so i had I, I have a book actually i wrote all of these questions out because i thought you know this if, if i ever get to write a book these these have to come in there wonderful you know? tell me the name of your book <laughs> I'll probably have to. Put, I'm telling you, I put it in a little in a little book. I made it, wrote it down. That if I ever wrote a book about my life, this will be a chapter of what people ask me when I move to Australia. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but honestly, again, from a you know because I'm I'm quite spiritual and I always feel into people's intentions. It was all kindness and it was all beauty and and you know everyone approached me with that. I don't know. Help me know. And I felt that. I needed to let people know, you know, being a warrior from the Middle East, I needed to show them and educate and all of that. Yeah. And then I gave up. I'm like, you know, everyone asked me now, how's it? How's your family in the Taliban? I'm like, they're okay. They're surviving. Thank you for asking. How are you? How's everything? How's your dog? <laughs> show me a picture of your puppy. <laughs> I learned how to do that. Um, other things I had to learn is the language. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. They speak English, but not normal English. Eski. What the hell is an esky? <laughs> what is a Barbie? Yeah. A Barbie is a doll. You're inviting me to a doll. Why? <laughs> uh, push bike. What's a push bike? Yeah. You know, things like, like you know, you can just say bike. Bike. You know, motorbike, bicycle. Yeah. What is a push yeah. bike? Exactly. You know? yeah. So I had to learn a lot of a lot of it. And I think one of the biggest one is um flogging. Mm. You know, and, and I thought it was a bad word. I thought it was the F word, you know. And then when people say it random, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but it, it was something you were good at, sales. Yeah, sales. But then yeah, but that, that part of it was like, okay, do not show judgment on your face. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, when they move, they keep their culture with them because it's safe. Mm. I want it. I, I. I wanted to move to Australia and I wanted to adapt to the culture and learn from it and become part of it. You know, not that to lose mine. I love who I am and where I come from. And and I love parts of my culture that I've kept, but I wanted to learn better and different. And I think one of it is the compassion, the kindness, Mm. the open-mindedness, the non-judgmental. You know, everyone I faced was genuinely asking questions and genuinely listening. You know, there is no judgment to who you are and what you are and what you do and what you choose. Genuinely. Mm. Blank. And coming from the culture where we have an opinion about everything. Everything. (laughs) This was a, you know, fresh breath air. Like, wow, you don't have an opinion? What do you mean you don't have an opinion? You can choose not to have an opinion. You can. (laughs) So I love that. And I think that was was the biggest, you know, enjoyment I found. The hard part was finding friends here. Yeah. You know, it's... Because isolation compared to the bustling nature. 
Yeah, and then, you know, living in Dubai where you have 220 nationalities around yeah. and you're friends with everyone, the conversations are multicultural. Yeah. I'm a citizen of the world, you know. Mm. I talk about food and travel and, you know, the differences and the... and Because the more you travel, the more you see, the more similarities you find with each other as human beings, you know, culturally. We all want the same thing. We want to be heard, seen and loved. That's it. So so feeling that oneness with the, with the world and then coming to Townsville and... and, and I think it's the first time I felt brown. Yeah. You know, because living in Dubai, I am, my color is the, I thought I was white. Like, this is it. <laughs> this is, <laughs> there's no, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There is racism everywhere around the world. But in terms of race, I yeah. thought I was the white race. That's yeah. it. And then coming here, I genuinely felt brown. You know, mm. people made it a point to make me feel brown, but not in a bad way. Again, not in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask because Queensland, particularly North Queensland, has a reputation for of, being racist. Yeah. No, it's ignorant. <laughs> I don't know which is better to be racist or stupid, but it's it's for the better for the lack of better word, let's call it ignorant. <laughs> right. So you're saying it's more coming from a place of ignorance rather than animosity. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's a lot of place of ignorance. And then if people if if people take questions with face value, just as they are, they mm. will not feel racist because you know. I know racism. I've lived enough. I, I was a racist myself. You know, growing up in that part of the world, you are a racist. You know, I I learned the caste system in India. Is there more something more racist than that? It's mm. normal to be racist. But coming here, you know that the intention is not racism. You know, <laughs> i tell you a funny story. So one of the things is that I find it is a bit racist, but not a bad racist. <laughs> People constantly telling you how beautiful you are. Like as a woman, you know, I'm a 39 year old woman now. I know my beauty and like I am, I have a dashing smile. I've got a big personality, all of that. But saying you're beautiful as the first thing that comes to mind consistently with everyone. I'm like, did I travel to a land where I am the most beautiful thing in the world? Like what's happening? But this is not doing well for my ego. And then I realized it's just because I'm brown. <laughs> it's because of my brownness. And I'm like, oh, all right, I can take that. You know, I got I worked with NDIS and I worked as a support worker. So and that was that was, you know, that's where, you know, this is where mental when disability. So when you're faced with disability, there's a lot of racism there. And there's a lot of that because there's no filter altogether. So I've got customers that call me the dark one because I'm darker than the other support workers. So they'd call me the, the oh, wow. dark one. And, I, and I'd look at it, I'm like, you know, like Darth Vader. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, the, the typical comments of, you speak English very good, you know, and I'm like, oh, but I don't understand your English. I'm like, I am speaking English with an accent. That's it. A small, different accent or things than when the grammar doesn't work. Like they're talking to you and then the grammar is not when I'm like, uh, English first language, do better. <laughs> Please do better. Um, or things like, oh, have you heard of, you know, have you heard of something that's very like, I don't know, something like, um, what's a famous TV show? Friends. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Oh, you know, Seinfeld. Did you have Seinfeld? But I'm like, uh, I did not live under a rock. <laughs> yeah, so I think if someone wants to feel those as being racist, I think it's just being you know, consider it. If yeah. anything, I find it refreshing that they don't take it for granted that you know their culture. I find it refreshing that they don't take it for granted that you know these things. You know, it's it's how you look at it. You know, mm. in I've lived in the Middle East where there's no two ways to look at um, inequality. Right. You know, I did not grow where I needed to grow or what I deserve to grow because I'm a woman. And there's no question about it. 
There's no two ways to look at it. I'm a woman. That's it. I'm an unmarried woman and I'm a threat to the system. Right. My strength, my voice, my loudness intimidates men mm. and they don't like it. And there's no question about it. So I know what racism looks like. I know what sexism looks, looks like. And Australia is not. And where I am here is not. Wonderful. And uh, now, now Townsville is home. You see it uh, being home oh, yes, for, <laughs> for, uh, for a good, good uh, amount of time? I mean, it took me a year to acclimatize, I call it, you know, yeah. to, to kind of get my head around the, the every city has a vibe yeah. and has a feel. Mm. You know, it took me a year to feel into that vibe and find my place in it and all. I struggled with friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, but you know, thankfully my my friends that lived in Dubai and now they're all over the world, we're still a good support system. And thankfully when you get to a certain age, you don't need many friends. You know, my housemate that I told you about, she became a chosen sister. Mm. My colleagues at work were my beautiful sisterhood support system. My customers, my NDIS customers have become one of the biggest support system because I think one of the things I think you face here, if you've never faced adversity in your life, it's very hard to um, connect with someone that has, you know, it's, it's, you know, I say this, if, if the biggest problem you've ever faced in your life is not be, being misunderstood as a teenager, that's amazing. I wish I had yeah, that. Yeah, I yeah. want my kids to have that. Absolutely. I'm here because I, if, if, if anything, I want that. But I cannot connect to you. Yeah. You know, I, I can be compassionate to you. But when you tell me, I do not like I. Your frame of reference is just so <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> like I've spelled death. Like I don't know what you're like. You know, you're like, uh, uh, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and I thought because of who I am, I can connect easily with everyone. And I find it n n no. But I could connect with people that have been through adversity. Yeah. You know, the people that I connect with have been through accidents, have been through things in trauma, trauma mm. in their lives, and they've survived. And it's like the broken recognizes the broken. The yeah. hurt recognizes the hurt. And y when you choose to do better with that hurt, you kind of give each other that pat on the back. Like, look, we, we got out and, and we're okay. You know, we're, we're okay. Look at us. We're okay. Look at us. Whoa, whoa. Look at us. You want, you want that cheering on. Yeah. You know, we're doing it. We're doing life. We're doing it. We're doing this. And that's the most exciting thing. You know, everyone's like, what's your dream? I'm like, my dream is to live where I do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, my dream is to be an equal human being mm. and not having to fight for that and to just be. Yeah. yeah. And, and I got to live that the hard way, but got here. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. for coming on and, and sharing these stories well, there. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming and, and, and asking me these questions. And, and I have to add that I am... Um, I am getting married to an Australian man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Who, who allowed me and gave me the space to be everything and anything I am. Um, and that is exactly what I've been looking for all my life. So, that's, yeah. That's Australia beautiful. was the answer in every way. <laughs> Hold on. Just the money. The tax man. <laughs> Living in Dubai with no taxes. You know, that took a hit. I saw my first salary. I'm like, what? what where's... Where's the rest of it? <laughs> but like everything in life, it has a price. You know, if you want yeah. a good health system or a free health system, let's yeah. put it this way, um, and an equal life, it'll cost. And it's a price I'm happy to pay. Awesome. Your stories have been so fascinating to listen to. And uh, it, it's really uh, right from the beginning to uh, finding home here. I, I was just thrilled by, you know, 
not only the excitement with which you tell it, but also the the variety of depth and and emotion that they carry. So yeah. thank you so much for thank sharing. Thank you for that. that. Thank you for allowing me that space to to share and tell my story. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Next week, I'll be joined by Julia Mawande from Italy. She moved to Australia as a child and could only speak Italian. And this was only made more confusing when she moved in with her Italian family, who could only speak English. You can find more info at sbs.com.au/myfirstyear. My First Year on Aussie Soil is an SBS original podcast. It's created and produced by me, Suraj Kolaka, and Danny Giles.